This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 2nd, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. How will the Supreme Court incorporate the Second Amendment? And why does it matter just how they do it? The High Court today will hear the McDonald case. Tim Sandifer is a principal attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. What is the question in the McDonald case? Well, the question is two parts. First is whether the Second Amendment uh, right to keep and bear arms is one of the rights that states are required to respect under the Constitution. And then the second one is how are they required to respect it? So um, the court is going to be addressing whether the states are required to respect an individual's right to possess firearms under the Due Process Clause or under the Privileges or Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment. Why is this a good spot to attempt to revive privileges or immunities? Well, I think um, it's a case where just last year the Supreme Court ruled that the Second Amendment guarantees an individual's right, and and this is a case where uh, the, the question is very clearly set. I, I th- there could very be any number of cases that bring this question forward. Any case that involves a state violating individuals' rights could conceivably bring this case this question up. But this case, I think, presents the question very clearly, and it's been very, very effectively briefed by the parties. Um, it's been an unusual example of a very powerful argument by the parties to overturn this old case. Why does privileges or immunities, why does it matter that this be incorporated under this versus that? And honestly, who cares what well, the difference is? <laughs> uh, number one, lawyers care. And uh, that's important since lawyers make the law that, that guarantees or violates individual rights. Um, what happened was in the 1870s, in the, in the slaughterhouse cases, an infamous U.S. Supreme Court decision, the court basically erased the privileges or immunities clause from the 14th Amendment. And by doing so, they eliminated the efforts by by post-Civil War Republicans to guarantee individual rights against state encroachment. It wasn't for another century, really, until the Supreme Court started really really caring about the violation of individual rights under the under um, uh, by states um, during the civil war I mean the civil rights movement of the 1950s to the, through the 70s now before then there had been an effort to guarantee individual certain individual rights under the 14th amendment's due process clause instead uh, and that has been that's been continuing effort that's been rather healthy in in American law since then but the reason why this would make a difference to uh, regular people is because during the years from about the 1930s to the present day, the Supreme Court has invented a body of case law under the Due Process Clause that guarantees only some rights and not others. In particular, it does very little to protect private property rights or economic freedom. And if the court were to return to the Privileges or Immunities Clause instead, it would be an opportunity to develop a new body of case law that would not have this blind spot against economic freedom and private property rights that current law has. So did the slaughterhouse cases give rise to sort of the Brandeis view of when it comes to property and economics that that it was uh, the protections were narrow? No, not really. It gets rather complicated, but in the years after the slaughterhouse cases, the Supreme Court did take economic liberties and private property rights pretty seriously under the due process and equal protection clauses. It wasn't until the 1930s when progressive intellectuals led by people like Brandeis and Holmes and others created the the body of case law we're stuck with today that basically eliminates private property rights and economic freedom. But because the Privileges or Immunities Clause was left untouched ever since the 1870s, 
what Brandeis and, and other progressives did in the due process clause didn't really have any effect in the Privileges or Immunities Clause. It's been sleeping since 1872 or 1873. And so what happens is if it's reawakened today, it'll be like Rip Van Winkle. It won't have this, this theory of rational basis scrutiny that progressives developed. Some conservatives appear to be afraid of a revival of privileges or immunities, Absolutely. particularly those representing the NRA uh, in the case. Well, I think in, in, as far as the NRA is concerned, I think their concern is, is they want to win this case and they don't want to be distracted by discussions of abstract constitutional law and they want to emphasize the due process issue more directly because it seems like a more easy, like an easier win. But as far as conservatives being concerned about a reversal of the slaughterhouse cases, that's not really surprising. There is a strand of conservatism which a very strong strand of conservatism that believes that local communities should have the right to dictate how individuals live their lives. And this is the group of conservatives, for example, who think that Lawrence versus Texas was wrongly decided. They believe that communities should be able to tell you whom you can take to bed and whom you can't and so forth. And so, of course, these conservatives are going to be very much afraid of any increased protection for individual rights against oppression by states and local governments. So they see a revival of the Privileges or Immunities Clause as a threat to local government precisely because it would protect individual liberties. If this case went the way that uh, you and uh, many uh, libertarians uh, hope, what effect might that have on the fight that attorneys Boyas and Olson are having in California right now? Well, you know, that's an interesting question I had not thought about. I don't think it would have much of an effect. In fact, probably it would have no immediate effect on the law if the Supreme Court were to overturn Slaughterhouse. It would be one of those things that builds up gradually over time so that decades from now people would look back and say, wow, that was a really important case. But immediately, I think the effect would be uh, that people would say, well, what difference does it make due process, privileges, or immunities, either one? Um, what you would see is, is over time, a body of case law would develop under the Privileges or Immunities Clause. The, the case about uh, gay marriage in California, if I understand correctly, is brought under the Equal Protection Clause. And the argument there is that to discriminate by offering legal protection to some marriages and not others fails to accord the equal protection of the laws. So that would not be touched by the McDonald decision directly. Tim Sandifer is a principal attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Cato Audio is now available as a monthly audio download. You can subscribe at audible.com or cato.org.